0: You're listening to another podcast from I'dRatherBeWriting.com. My name is Tom Johnson. Today I am talking with Anders Svensson, located in uh, Sweden, Stockholm, Sweden. And Anders is a co-founder of Poligo, a popular online platform for technical documentation. And we're going to dive into all kinds of interesting questions today. Um, Anders, can you just introduce yourself a little bit uh, for for the audience here? Uh, Tell us kind of who you are, what you do.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Great to be here. Um, So, yeah, I'm Anders Svensson. I um, am one of the two main co-founders of Polygo. And I was was a consultant in this business for – nearly 20 years um, working with uh, mainly XML solutions and single sourcing and helping customers implement types of uh, CCMS solutions and so on. And, um, yeah, I did that for a long time until I met my co-founder, Frank,
0: and we decided to start our own platform. Great, great. Now, Poligo, correct me if I'm wrong, this is about – Six years old now?
1: No, it's actually just a little over four years old. Oh, okay. Uh, we, um, yeah, we started uh, late 2015, started Poligo as a company.
0: And it's been relatively successful as far as I can see um, compared to other kind of startup ventures that I've seen uh, in the tech com space try to take off and then sort of fail Polygo seems to be successful. Can you reflect a little bit on why you think Poligo is succeeding in this space where others uh, might not be?
1: Yeah. Um, I think what we've done is basically we've found a, a niche which um, a, a gap, sort, so to speak, that we think was not really filled. Um, I know there were um, there are many CCMS systems on the market, and many of them come out of the um, out of Germany. Uh, have some really big CCMS systems there. Um, many of them are just really, you know, large behemoths, though, and, and you know, really expensive. And this is well known. You, you know, if you hear people talk about CCMS systems, they they think of really, really expensive systems, and they usually typically take a really long time to implement it's not unusual to have a one two years of just deployment time so what we wanted to do was to fill that gap on the one hand make it more accessible to smbs and mid-market as well Um, and but you know first and foremost we wanted it to be like a modern platform in the cloud people were expecting to to find any type of tool um, nowadays in the cloud. Like if if you want to have a project management platform, you have uh, tons of those to use uh, in the cloud or CRMs, very crowded market. But there was nothing that we saw that we found that was uh, um, fulfilling this need for technical documentation. So we basically wanted to do something that was as powerful as these uh, existing CCMS systems, but really accessible in the cloud and and, um, instant deployment and most of our user-friendly. So uh, getting really high user adoption was a really uh, important focus from us. Um, We had seen in in consulting days that uh, one of the main problems with getting a... um, structured authoring project to succeed was getting user adoption because these systems were not really very user-friendly so i think what we did was that we made it accessible in the cloud and we made it um really user-friendly taking advantage of the modern cloud platform
0: Yeah, it's interesting um to, to reflect on on this niche between uh, the, or, or to have a, a CCMS that people can actually implement quickly that's affordable. Um, can you talk a little bit, let's back up a little bit for uh, users who may ha- not even really know what a CCMS is, let alone why they would want one. Um, can you fill in the big picture here and just give us some basics about, you know, what's wrong with a, a help authoring tool the, why would somebody want a ccms what are they aiming for and what does it do for them
1: right yeah so i mean this is i've, I've written articles about this too but uh basically the um, the thing is a, a help authoring tool as you know um has a similar purpose in many ways you want to reuse content and uh, you want to divide it up into topics that are reusable chunks of content So yeah, there are some similarities there, definitely. But the thing is when this scales, it becomes really difficult to manage. And that's when you, you really need a CCMS because if you start taking your documentation and you're breaking it up into small reusable chunks of content, so if you start at the macro level, you're breaking down the documentation into topics for one thing, and you get tons of topics that you need to be able to keep track of and manage and so on. And then what a CCMS does, it doesn't just um, go to down to the topic level, it goes way more granular than that. So a CCMS, a component content management system, keeps track of every single little component, and that could be... Anything from a topic down to uh, the smallest text fragment, really, or even single words. So one of the main differences there is CCMS is database managed, so the the database keeps track of all these little pieces where everything is reused, even where a single word or variable or a text fragment, exactly where that content is reused and all these relations. And that sort of control is what you really need when, when you start to scale documentation. If you have complex documentation, you need to single source and, and reuse content, and you also need to be able to manage it like that. So it's that, and then the, the ability to, um, to collaborate globally, which you can do in the CCMS, or especially a cloud-based CCMS, you can be basically anywhere in the world, and everybody's working on the same content.
0: I find this interesting um, on this question of scaling because this is a question that many people have asked me around Docs as Code. They say, well, it's fine for for small kind of projects, but it doesn't really scale. And you're talking about um, uh, scenarios where you have many, many topics and you start to reuse content. I'm wondering, at what point do you think uh, companies would be justified in transitioning to a CCMS? Are we talking about thousands of topics uh, or just hundreds of topics? Like when is the right time to scale up to a CCMS?
1: I think it's really hard to generalize like that. It could be. I mean, typically our customers will have thousands of topics, yes. But we also see... Customers with the uh, smaller documentation sets—I'm um, not sure if they probably they would reach more than a thousand topics still, but uh, I, I wouldn't say it's it's impossible that we have a number of customers that have hundreds of topics and still have this need because it's not all about that. It's about um, if you think about it, a CMS is about content reuse. So even if you did have just a few hundred topics, that might actually become thousands of topics in your output because you're reusing them. So it depends. I usually talk about the the determining factor is if you have complex documentation. And by complex documentation, I mean complexity in some sense. So that could be you have You're you're documenting multiple products, for instance, and and probably these products share some of the documentation, some of the content. Or it could be other multiple dimensions, like you have, uh, maybe you have just one product, but you have multiple versions that need to be live in parallel. You need to uh, supply customers with different versions of of this. um, For instance, if you have a software product, Uh, it could be multiple languages where it could be multiple audiences, it, it's really common that um, customers will, will um, filter and profile content for uh, interner, internal audiences, support agents and so on, and external audiences and so on. So it's that this um, common factor is if the documentation is complex in any way, that's when I think you need uh, CCMS and, and uh, single sourcing.
0: Hey, thanks for unpacking that. I think what you say makes a lot of sense. You know, um, you, you mentioned this: what makes documentation com- complex? You have different—you're sharing content across uh, different products. You have multiple versions of the product. You have many languages you're supporting. Different audiences. I think that's um, a good way to look at it. I think a lot of times when people look at technical documentation. Um, Especially in the space I'm at, where there's a lot of developers who contribute, they really don't—they really don't grapple with more complex scenarios like this, right? Where you where you have reuse no. across these many different um, uh, modes. Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about reuse um, mm-hmm. because I was I was recently listening to a podcast with Mark Baker, uh, who who is retired but was still interviewed for. A podcast and always has good insights. He was a strong champion of reuse, um, but he kind of seems to um, be heading more towards or, or a little bit against r- reuse at the granular level. And I've seen other people kind of push back about, you know, at what level do you reuse content? Um, some people restrict it just to Reuse of topics. Um, how how granular should tech writers aspire to reuse content? Should they be reusing content down to the sentence? Or is that too arduous to try to maintain?
1: I think it depends partly on the environment you're working in. But also it will vary widely from, from uh, user to user or customer to customer. Um, so I think... I know definitely that uh, many many companies will have the need to reuse on a very granular level, but the important thing is balance. And I wrote an article about this too, uh, with, um, where um, I think the important thing is you you need you have a lot of different tools in Polygo to reuse content. So there, you know, you have the macro level on on topics and and even publications you can reuse publications inside publications and so on so the macro level and yes many companies get their massive reuse from there but then you can go down to um, smaller components inside topics and so on and you can go down to the text fragment you can go down to variables and I think the important thing is to keep a balance there. You shouldn't really do it just for the sake of it, just because you can. But really need to think about your information architecture and where do you get the most benefit. Many customers will see that, you know, for instance, some customers have a lot of variables and they really do reuse them all over the place. And it would be um, massive work if they had to... Um, to write different kinds of content for this, and you know the the uh, typical copy and paste case that you want to avoid. Um, so yeah, I, I you don't I don't think you can generalize and say that that uh, um, one or the other is better. It will be different from from case to case, basically. But I, I think what we see mostly is um, that. Customers do use many of these features, but uh, they won't always use all. I mean, the, um, I, I can see cases where we've seen that, uh, you know, they get a lot of reuse from the topic reuse, the publication reuse, and maybe the variables. And then, you know, they could um, reach out to us and say, uh, do you think that uh, we, we have this case now? Do you think it would be a good idea to... Uh, to To use the filtering uh, techniques as well, and you know, you can see that maybe they get you know a small fraction of a percentage um, of extra benefit from that, and then it's not usually worth it. But others will have the the uh, opposite situation.
0: Cool. Yeah, I am. Uh, I definitely want to follow up and find articles you've written on that because I think the balance is 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 key. I remember one time I was working on documentation that involved implementation of a product in three different languages, in PHP, in Java, and C++. And the implementation shared commonality of around, I don't know, 70% was the same, right? You do these steps, but then it differed. Obviously, the code samples differed. And yeah. I remember it was really hard to try to figure out, like, how much should I try to be reusing content and how at what point does it become too just cognitively difficult to try to like keep things uh, synced across these different different products. So it's it's definitely a challenge. And it's really where I think technical writers hit their stride in trying to figure out the best way uh, to reuse content when it becomes um, important and when it becomes too tedious. So I like that idea of balance. Now, I I do want to transition into another topic because we're talking about reuse. And Polygo recently integrated with Zendesk, which is a a very popular support platform. I'm wondering if there's um, opportunity to reuse content now between KB articles or other support articles and tech docs. And if you can talk a little bit more about just this Zendesk integration.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Actually, it wasn't that recently. We actually um, introduced our Zendesk integration in 2017. Um, but uh, we've had that for quite a while, and it's been really successful. We did kind of botch the uh, marketing of it, though. So, um, But I think we were still lucky because um, customers discovered it anyway, even though we didn't have much of marketing at that time. Um, so it's really one of our most successful integrations. And uh, so we, when we did this, we, we actually took a decision. Um, we wanted to integrate with uh, knowledge-based platforms and help desk centers in general. So we, we um, at the same time, we also integrated with uh, Freshdesk and uh, Salesforce Knowledge. So those have been going well, and especially the Zendesk one has taken off really well Um and I think that was a good decision because yes, I, I do see uh, that there's really—I mean—companies want their their um, content in their knowledge bases in their support centers, so they can deflect tickets and, and so on. But they generally see that that platform to produce documentation on that platform is very, very limited, and they still have the same needs as as companies publishing to other platforms, other outputs, or whether it's PDF or uh, HTML5 or wherever it might be, the the need is still the same to reuse content, single source it. And uh, so the the difference here is just the destination, basically. So that's what we saw. We can do this. We can provide this um, um, powerful platform for content reuse, but still have them published to if if that happens to be uh, their Zendesk help center, they can still publish it there. And we have some amazing setups now from some customers that are, that are uh, publishing, reusing their content into multiple products, into uh, multiple Zendesk centers, um, reusing it for different versions for like Australia, UK, US and so on. Um, So we have multi branding to take care of that. And, uh, Basically, the, the, the driving force is the same. They want to reuse their content. And so what you may have heard, if, if you if you um, heard some recent news about this, I'm not sure, but uh, we do have a really big update to this coming out, um, which we call Zendesk Integration 2.0 internally. And uh, so this is going to take it to the next step, basically providing the technical writer with tons of control for really granular mapping of your reused content in Polygo and where it maps to your articles in Zendesk.
0: I think that's really, really cool. Um, You know, I've always been sort of uh, just perplexed at the splits between documentation and support. And support, in, in many companies I've worked in, support always has their own world of tooling. That is separate, and when they try to like pull in docs, they end up just copying and pasting little key snippets uh, related to friction points they anticipate, and it drives me nuts because I'm like, you just you're just pasting that over. Like, uh, how do you ensure it doesn't go out of date? And you know, why isn't there more integration between the two? I um I think there's a lot of missed opportunity when support and docs are separate, and it's a difficult thing to conquer because like you know the support people have different tooling needs. So it sounds like Poligo's got a lot of integration points to help meet support in the tools that they want to use.
1: I think that that the situation that you mentioned where, you know, you have these um, um, people working in support, uh, cutting and pasting and so on, and that that probably is something that evolves over time and, and it works up to a point. But then all of a sudden they find themselves having this really massive documentation and it's become a real mess. And uh, at that point, you know, that's that's when we usually see them coming with a really complex migration project because they need to get out of that mess and, and get it organized.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of companies accrue documentation debt for a number of years until they hit a crisis point and then they suddenly have to, you know, do this huge project. Uh, I want to talk about other fragmentations of tools while we're sort of on this topic, not just in in the support space but more in the developer doc space. There's a lot of fragmentation around uh, API docs where you have maybe a Java doc that's got its own output. Uh, you've got maybe a REST API doc with a Swagger kind of output that's a standalone mm-hmm. output. And then you've got uh, your conceptual or, or uh, how-to docs in a different different tool um, does poligo have any kind of solutions to integrate some of these other types of API docs into into one experience
1: yeah I mean we um, we are well aware of the um, the rise of API documentation so to speak and I know you you write a lot about that um, and um, what we've seen there we we hooked into this uh, a while ago, um, started out just um, allowing um, user to embed uh, Swagger output, for instance, so they could uh, uh, embed it and, and automatically hook it into their uh, their um, um, Swagger JSON or whatever it might be. Um, but then we got a lot of requests around this and people wanted more about uh, of this. Um, sort of integration. So one of the things that we did recently was allow users to import their OpenAPI spec. So basically that means they can just uh, um, um, import a JSON or YAML file and Poligo turns that into a proper Poligo uh, topics, structured authoring topics. And then they can basically Integrated with the rest of their documentations. I think that's, you know, there are a lot of players in the API documentation space. Um, so we're not really trying to be one of those tools and, and compete on that level. What, where we see our unique selling point is basically what you just said that the companies that have this really complex documentation they usually need to integrate with the rest of their documentation. So they have the, the user documentation, the admin documentation, whatever it might be. So tons of documentation, but then they also have their API docs. They want to integrate that with the rest of the, their documentation. They can do that in Polygo now with uh, the Open API spec import and, and so on and keep working on it like that. Um, utilize the content reuse in combination with this. Yeah,
0: that's pretty cool. Uh- I'm really happy to see that you've got a, an import for the OpenAPI spec. Um, that's great. And so, so does that make the content in the OpenAPI searchable? I know that Polygo has a has Algolia based search. Uh, if I import my my Swagger file or OpenAPI file into Polygo, does that make it make each of those endpoints or parameters searchable?
1: Yeah, but. I- I would say that uh, basically it all depends on what you want to do with your, with your uh, content after you import it. So, I mean, we have many different kinds of outputs and uh, so we have um, some, you know, HMO five help centers uh, basically creating a, a, an entire portal for, um, for the web. Uh, and, and you can definitely uh, utilize that and integrate with Algolia or uh, Elastic Swift type or whatever search engine you want to use. Um, so that's definitely part of it, but many of them will also just um, use our API style output, which is more like a Stripe-like, um, you know, the, the type of uh, three-panel with the code switching on the right side that Stripe made popular. So it depends what they want to do with it, but yeah, they would have uh, all these possibilities and In some cases, they might, you know, if it's a bigger customer, like we have some really large software companies, uh, they might want to have a a customized output with this. And, and, um, you know, if they want to have, like, one of our really large uh, enterprise customers um, is using this and creating a federated search with Algolia. So they integrate both the documentation and, and the rest of their whole document set uh, their entire site with a federated search for uh, for Algolia.
0: That's cool. Uh, hey, let's just define federated search uh, for those who don't know. My understanding of federated search is just search across multiple different outputs. Uh, can you maybe just define what you mean by federated search?
1: Yeah, so basically that's exactly it. So uh, uh, the documentation that they produce in Polygo will just be one part of all the the content that they wanna search. So they may have, you know, content from marketing or, uh, you know, other departments that's uh, created in other environments. They wanna put all of this together in a, in a large portal, but be able to search in everything. And they can do this with the Algolia integration. So we provide the part um, for Algolia that um, um, handles the search for the documentation, but that can then be integrated into the larger search for the entire portal that they have.
0: And and a recent update to Polygo now offers faceted filters in the search. Um, I was reading in, in recent release notes, and I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, and this is especially applicable to federated search if you have lots of different content types in there. Um, can you talk more about what the faceted filtered search uh, provides? How it's implemented? Is you know what is what is the user experience?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, faceted search is something that's fascinated me for a long time as well, um, and I want to say that. Um, Basically, you can, you can use it out of the box. Um, so if you want to, you can just uh, basically enable it, and then out of the box, you use our taxonomy feature to tag your content, uh, different categories, classifications, and so on. And so you decide basically what you will want to use as facets, and then this will automatically create the, the faceted search page for your HTML5 output. Uh, but I would say in practice, the companies that are most inter- interested in uh, faceted search are, are usually pretty large companies um, with really complex documentation that they need to, to uh, provide this filtered search for. Um, and so it's more common really that they Don't just use it out of the box, but they want a sort of configuration for them with, uh, you know, where they can basically they can hook it into any kind of metadata. Uh, So if they want to use the filter metadata to uh, apply for this or uh, other types of attributes, whatever it might be. But the out of the box solution that anybody can just use and enable uh, uses the taxonomy based uh, classifications. But basically... You have a lot of freedom there to, uh, to set this up, but I think this applies to basically um, anything in structured offering. You also need to do your information architecture. so you need to figure out you know what, um, what classifications of our content make sense for us and build these taxonomy trees or whatever it might be that you're using to create these facets.
0: Cool. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a whole, uh, I mean, there's a lot of information architecture uh, kind of know-how, I think, in developing a taxonomy that's going to make sense, that's going to, uh, you know, fit the, the product. And I like your your tie back into the complex documentation you were talking about earlier with products that have different, you know, variants, different versions uh, within each variant of the product, different languages, different audiences, different uh, yeah different locales platforms all that stuff is essential right to provide filters for and uh certainly if you've got you know if you've got documentation with that many different aspects to it unless you have these filters it's going to be really hard to provide search um across them so i think that seems like a key key component in this whole solution and something that fits the ccms landscape quite well um uh, since we've been talking about APIs, API docs, and uh, <clears throat> some of this integration, um, I want to touch upon how people who might be maybe have a docs as code implementation. Maybe you've got Jekyll or Hugo or Gatsby, mm-hmm. and you know you've you've. Started small because maybe in the developer doc space you just have one language, there's one version, there's one product, but now you've grown, you've got multiple languages, you've got a different, a few different types of audiences, now you've got versions and you like, you need to scale up. How hard would it be for somebody to transition from one of these static site generators uh, and docs as code models into Poligo?
1: Well, it's really hard to, to give a, a general answer to that, but I think what we've seen is uh, we, we see this quite a lot. Um, so it will usually be some sort of middle step where we uh, transform it first in, uh, into uh, maybe an XHTML version of, or some, something like that uh, as an intermediate step. And then we will import that with one of the uh, uh, existing um, out-of-the-box imports. Um, But I don't think that you can... Basically, the companies that have this need realize that they will have some work to do. I mean, they can use the imports to speed this up. But anytime you go from an unstructured environment into a structured one, you really need to do the mapping, so to speak, because you're going into some... An environment where content is supposed to be semantically tagged up so you need to still do that work but you can speed it up through the migration and usually that part isn't that hard and, and it will usually work um, fairly quickly doing this intermediate step and then just import it but you would still need to to make some decisions what are we going to map this to and, and probably some post import work to to, uh, if you want to do it really right to structure it up so it really um, follows good uh, best practice um, um, uh, rules for for how to work with structured authoring. Yeah um,
0: uh, I think you mentioned kind of starting from an HTML output and using that as an import point, I think that would make a lot of sense because all of these static site generators pretty much generate HTML. That's, that's their sweet spot. And HTML seems to be pretty pretty standard uh, to work with to import into other tools. But as you say, right, if, you've, if your source format isn't structured, now you're trying to reuse content, you know, it's going to require somebody to think how you're going to reuse that component. And inevitably, when when you move into this XML space, which is going to allow this reuse and more uh, programmatic manipulation of content, um, the, the people will start to wonder, well, okay, this is this is DocBook, and we've got other XML formats like DITA. What do I have to know? Um, DocBook, as I understand it, is a lot more flexible. It's more kind of uh, um, uh, I don't know. Just, it's not as tightly constrained around the very specialized types. But what does somebody need to know about DocBook uh, to transition their content into this space? Do they need to know the DocBook schema? Do they like? What do they have to consider?
1: No, no. I I mean, this is one of the things uh, we um, really uh, like that you know customers will come to us and say they basically. They love how Polygo has taken structured authoring and made it fun. So basically, I think that is really great praise. Um, And so we're really trying to – I mean, its you've got the full possibilities of a a really rich structured authoring XML content model. And you can do pretty much anything that that you would need. If you're a hardcore XML user, you can do anything you need there. But we're trying to take the complexity out of it. And we have users coming from really traditional environments, if it's uh, you know Microsoft Word or wherever it might be, that take to this really quickly. There's a little bit of a threshold to get over, get into the mindset of structure authoring and, and thinking about content in a semantic way and so on. But once they get over that and that doesn't take very long, usually uh, it really comes naturally. They don't really need to learn DocBook in any way. And basically just to make that clear with some of the uh, misconceptions about, uh, you know, we wrote uh, I wrote an article recently about why we chose DocBook instead of DITA, even though I'd been working as a data consultant for many years. Um, and, um, The thing we did was basically we did a customization of DocBook, you could say, to make it topic-based. So it it was more – if people are coming from DITA, for instance, they will feel right at home because we have the same kind of of, uh, topic-based thinking. What we didn't want, though, was specifically this topic typing, which uh, we – Felt was just constraining. and in my experience was this was one of the big hurdles uh, for customers um, migrating to DITA was just that, you know I, I, I often um, talk about this as trying to force a square peg into a round hole. And what Docbook uh, differs there, so if we if we got the topic based part where we split content into topics, so you have these reusable chunks, that was the important part. The topic typing part is just taking it a bit too far. It's like saying that, okay, so you're gonna write an instruction tasks, so you will only need these few elements then. That's the data way in, in my mind. And real content, real live content doesn't really work like that. It doesn't fit into those neat little models. So basically, DocBook does have the same rules, and Polygo does have the same rules in, in its customization of this content model, um, where you do need to follow a certain structure. And you can't really do structured authoring without having rules, because that's the core of the, the entire concept. But um, we don't take it that far. You have more flexibility. So if you're writing a, a, an instruction, you have the procedure element with the steps and so on. You should use that, but we don't force... Uh, users the same way to say okay now you only have this little subset of elements because you're going to write instructions for instance i
0: I think that makes a lot of sense i like the balance between freedom and and having some rules and i i agree i think dida takes it too far with with the topic type the specialized topics um and i know DIDA's tried to move towards more like lightweight and more general kind of uh uh approaches, but but even so I I yeah, I agree with with the analogy of the square peg in the round hole that's that was my experience and and especially if somebody is in a Doxus code environment, they're used to having a lot more freedom to kind of do to write according to the dictates of the content, not necessarily to the schema, but at the same time, you've, as you say, you've got to have some rules or you can't really do anything with the content, right? it's it's, mm. it's some balance there. Um, and we've talked about a lot of things, and uh, I just wanted to cover one more topic um, because I know that this was a huge part of your recent release. Uh, you you recently added two-factor authentication, which I think is interesting. I mean, um, just having kind of authentication itself seems to be a huge need. I'm, I'm constantly running into this problem at, at my work. Uh, we, we don't have a great... You know, authenticated environment for users. We kind of have a uh, a tool we use, but it's it's not great. And um, <clears throat> but you've you've gone ahead and added two factor authentication for this as well. Um, just kind of curious, why the push for more security for documentation? Are you are you working with uh, partners who have really strong security needs, and and uh, if you, maybe you could just talk a little bit about that.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so basically, like I mentioned before, when we started out with Polygo, we, we uh, initially we started with a uh, intention to to fill this gap also for SMBs and maybe mid market uh, companies. But as we've grown and, and added more and more features and um, so on, um, we are starting to attract more mid market and enterprise customers. So yes, part of this—it's not really about pushback—but part of this is the requirements from these kinds of customers, the bigger companies. They do have a lot of um, security requirements, and we get these long lists of, uh, of uh, uh, security features that we need to fulfill. Um, so yes, this has been on the wish list for uh, many of those, but I, I think it's really more more mid-market customers really that uh, are interested in this whereas the enterprises will really usually uh, want single sign-on SSO and we've had that for a long time but the two-factor authentication was like a, an additional layer that we offer and uh, so basically um, right now every plan has access to this and they it's up to them if they want to enable it or not um, but then on the higher plans like the enterprise plan, we also have some additional features around this where they can have uh, global control over this if they want to enforce two-factor authentication and so on. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not a pushback, but um, a need from our customers.
0: I remember I uh, used to work at, at um, a company that was bought by Experian, and one time we wanted to use just a, a simple tool to do some document review uh, that was actually based in Markdown and mm-hmm. the security department in, in order to kind of put the content on this third party host had this huge list of security requirements and we sent them to the, to the vendor and they're like, you're asking for Fort Knox security and this is not like the price point for that is totally not what is <laughs> not aligning. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think it's, it's great that you're able to uh, provide the security that an enterprise would need, uh, based on probably very robust requirements, um, and and yet not be uh, out of the price range that people are looking for with this sort of solution. So, oh. is there any other features that you want to talk about um, in Poligo or recent releases or other other topics that we haven't gotten to?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that we've been uh, investing a lot of time uh, on lately is um, our collaboration features. So we've we've, um, put a lot of effort into making sure this is also one of the things that comes out of uh, um, talking to customers and and, uh, customer requests over time. Uh, to really simplify uh, collaboration, and I mean we have had this for a long time with uh, the ability to collaborate globally, doing reviews globally, and uh, you know have real time updates on the same page, so to speak. But we put a lot of effort into to improving that and making sure that you can have now um, contributors working uh, on the same page and basically an inline editor just open up in, in context in a really simple um, collaborator uh, interface. So that's one of the things that we've been um, investing a lot of time on. And coming up, we uh, we have this big release. I think by the time this airs, it might have actually be live. Um, but um, so we're in the next few days, we're going to have a release for our uh, like I said, we call it the Zendesk integration 2.0. That, I think, is going to be really popular. I know it's going to be really popular with our customers because it really uh, puts all the control in the hands of the technical writer, really knowing that they... Uh, it's like a cockpit, basically, uh, for making sure that they can take their really complex documentation and, and knowing exactly what, what happens to it in Zendesk. So that's going to be really nice, and, and you'll see the release for that in a few days.
0: Well, the collaboration piece is, is cool to see, and it's worth sort of commenting on because I've been doing some research on tools, and I've always been uh, kind of dumbstruck by seeing so so many different companies using Microsoft Word, you know. And I never really uh-huh. understood that. I thought, are so many people using Word for their docs? And in yeah. my latest latest tool survey, I realized that uh, Word is often used in the same way that Confluence is often used mm-hmm. uh, for collaboration on documentation. A lot of times, uh, tech writers collaborate on on, docu- on content using tools such as Microsoft Word, Confluence, Google Docs, mm. uh, Quip. Right, because you you need to collaborate with others to create the content, and you know the uh, it doesn't make sense to collaborate further on down the tool chain in terms of your, your publishing. Uh, for example, when I collaborate with engineers, mm. we use a lot of Quip um, at at my workplace. Sales, it's basically Google Docs by Salesforce, um, mm. and and. Yeah, it's great to have multiple people in there creating and working on the content. And when it's kind of mostly ready, then I transition it into uh, Markdown and Jekyll, and we publish it and so forth. But this ability to collaborate on content earlier, earlier in the tool chain seems essential. So, so does the collaboration? Do the collaboration features in Poligo kind of allow that that uh, uh, development of content that's at an early state between different stakeholders
1: yeah and this was actually the uh, the uh, entire intention behind uh, this development was uh just what you're saying basically the the typical case and we actually we did uh, this development in close collaboration with one of the really largest uh um, software companies in the world which is one of our customers and they specifically asked for this because they said you know we have like uh in our department, we have somewhere around 10-20 technical writers, <clears throat> but we have hundreds of, de- of developers that need to write and contribute content. So what they wanted was specifically this, and that's what we set out to to, be- to develop basically, where you can you can have a core number of technical writers that do the the heavy lifting, the uh, bells and whistles, and you know all the fancy reuse techniques and so on, but then they can just get their content from these Uh, from their engineers usually um, just um, providing them the the publication or or, uh, an assignment whatever they want to use whatever workflow fits them and they get into this they have these light licenses we call the contributor licenses so they get into this uh, light editor um, with the full context just uh, embedded editor just clicking and Writing down, you know, their API description, whatever it might be, and then the technical writer gets it back and can can add all those bells and whistles, basically.
0: That's cool. You know, I I I've had a long-standing interest in doc tools, and um, I know I've written a lot on my blog or had a lot of, I don't know, I get excited about the docs as code space and all these static site generators, but I think that a lot of people don't realize like how expensive uh, and I by this I mean time consuming. You know how expensive a docs as code implementation is. Um, like it's sure it's easy to download an open source tool and to generate out an HTML page. But when you start to add in other requirements like, oh, we need to localize this. And, oh, we need to generate out a PDF. And, oh, we need to have a robust search. And, oh, we need to authenticate pre-release beta partners. Uh, And, oh, we need to, you know, support multiple versions. It's like the time it takes to try to figure out how to do this in something like Jekyll is insane. And uh, this is why I often think, you know, uh, let's let tool vendors provide the solution and, and not spend all our time because tech writers we don't get paid to develop the tools usually we get paid to write the content that's what people want mm-hmm. they want to see the content and they expect it to look professional and it requires a tremendous amount of like ux talent as well um even if you have a ux resource that UX resource is not there for the life of the project. They may hack out a solution in, in Gatsby and then be done with it, and then you're stuck trying to figure out all the details. So, you know, yeah. I'm actually a huge champion of of third-party solutions and and full doc tools uh, where you can implement them. So, you know, I'm glad to see Poligo is succeeding in the space because we definitely need more cloud-based, robust tools that can can handle all these these more complex needs, um, you know, without yeah. costing half a million dollars. So, uh, thanks for providing, you know, the solutions you do. And you you have a lot of industry expertise. You know, you, you've definitely been in this space for a long time, and you know, kind of, you, you've been inside many doc departments and seen their challenges and scenarios, and you've been crafting right. solutions for those. So, I think it's great yeah. that you bring your awareness here
1: we're trying to build the tools we always wanted ourselves so yeah
0: yeah well anders thanks so much for coming on to this podcast and uh, if if people want to learn more about poligo where would you recommend they go
1: they just go to poligo.net
0: okay all right thank you so much and you've also got a blog you mentioned you mentioned several articles. Maybe people aren't that aware of your blog. How do they find? Uh, I'll put links to some of these references in the show notes. But in general, how do you read the Poligo blog?
1: Yeah, so that's just uh, poligo.net/blog, and um, they'll find it right there on the on the home page as well. Um, so uh, yeah, and I would really uh, love to see people uh, finding out about that. We're uh, we're starting to uh, produce more content now. We we feel like, um, you know, basically early on we had mostly like product updates, but we're now trying to provide much more um, significant content, hopefully, uh, content for people in this space and interested in structured authoring, single sourcing, and so on.
0: Great, great. Well, I'll definitely link to that. Again, thanks, Anders. Appreciate your time and for all your insights.
1: Thank you.